1: Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanillo with Jim Cramer and David Faber. Futures do indicate a little more grind this morning after yesterday's action. Jamie Dimon's annual letter getting most of the attention this morning as he outlines the U.S. economic boom, infrastructure, and a lot more. We're going to get to that. Our roadmap will begin with that so-called Goldilocks moment. J.P. Morgan CEO says the boom could last through 2023, while Goldman also sees limited long-term damage to the economy.
0: Plus, Jeff Bezos backs corporate tax hikes. The Amazon chairman says infrastructure investments will require concessions from all sides. And coming up later this hour, an exclusive interview with ExxonMobil CEO Darren Woods.
3: Carl. All
1: right. Let's dive into this letter a little bit more, guys. Uh, Jim, I know you were just talking about it with Andrew, uh, Joe, and Becky. He talks about obviously where he sees macro going, but there's a lot more in there on the nature of remote work uh, and the risks to banks, which he says are coming from every angle.
4: There's an amazing moment, actually. There's two moments where Jamie just talks about uh, using his first name as if he's sure. I know. I hope it was a month. Jamie talks directly about the challenges and who are the challenges. Well, it's Facebook that he mentions. He mentions Alphabet. Well, Google uh, It talks about Apple. He says then Walmart. And one of the things that's amazing about this is he just says, look, he's not talking about PayPal and Square, which I would have. But he, he basically says these guys have such an edge over us. We are so heavily regulated. They can do whatever they want. And what's interesting is they haven't done it yet. I mean, I'm still waiting for the Facebook bank and and the outlet bank. But he's obviously preparing for it. But he does say, look, we can't do a lot of the things that you want us to do because we're not allowed to. And it was I don't think it was a plea necessarily for less regulation for him. It's like, don't we want to regulate those guys, too? They're out there in the room. It was a great moment because he he's thought about what the future looks like. And these are all cloud-based companies, which he understands have just such an edge over him. So, uh, you know, the only one that, that doesn't have an edge on him, David, is uh, Netflix. <laughs> he didn't talk about Netflix, yeah. but he's a real fang specialist.
0: No, listen, the theme of him being um, scared, so to speak, Uh, of fintech is, uh, you know, not one lost in our viewers. You can go back to earlier this year. I think it was on that earnings conference call, wasn't it, Jim, where he talked specifically, uh, as I recall, about Plaid. Remember, of course, one's going to be acquired by Visa. Very happy that that deal actually got opposed by the DOJ because the valuation of the company is more than doubled from the value that Visa was going to pay to buy it. Um, So this is not, you know, and again, we're going to get back to sort of Diamond's comments about the general uh, economy. But you're right. Uh, he's been pushing on this for a while, clearly trying to communicate in some fashion that they would like to be freed up to be able to compete more aggressively in this area.
4: Well, look, I mean, it's one of those things where if you're trying to figure out stocks, it's the most poignant stock moment, because what it says is basically you should be willing to pay a lot more for those companies because those companies have the edge. It's interesting to see that Walmart was included, obviously, uh, a brick and mortar company like the one he has, Carl, there are so many moments in the letter where he talks about what could really hurt our country is inequality. I know we're focused on the boom of 2023, but I think he's focused on the fact that unless we get uh, some real equality in this country, we could be doomed to be a second class country the way China currently views us. There's a lot of, uh, of discussion about China. And whether they believe that we really are second rate, which they do, and whether we can change and not be second rate. Uh, He even goes to the point of, look, we have to go back not to the Constitution, but to the Federalist Papers to understand what it means to have equality in our country. Uh, Carl was a rather remarkable note. This is a banker, and the banker names, I'd say, five or six things that his clients really want. Uh, and what the 17,000 lobbyists want. It's every one of the things, Carl, that you would just define as being Gordon Gekko. Uh, Then, of course, people are saying, oh, well, look, he makes $31 Okay. he delivered. And in corporate America, if you deliver, you do get paid. But, Carl, I just think he kind of lays it out that just says we're done if we do not make this country equal, including two references to George Floyd's murder. Not to what happened to George Floyd, but horrific murder uh, on the eve of what I imagine will be Judgment Day.
1: Uh, You're talking about a a verdict in Minneapolis. Is that what you mean? Yeah,
4: but he's already, Jamie's already declared the verdict. And uh, twice, this was really a plea to hold people accountable as they give and try to figure out how to make the poor equal. And he doesn't mince terms. It's black and Latino. Uh, I, I, it is such a fresh hair because he's talking about tax breaks for golf courses and horse racing and private jets. And he doesn't like them. He doesn't want them. Well, it, as a private client of a, a private client of J.P. Morgan, uh, I read that and I say, well, you know, he's against my interest, but he's saying don't be selfish. I'm with him, David. I'm with him when he says that maybe I know this is going to hurt that salt is something that is selfish. Yeah, well, it's selfish.
0: It may be, but it may also result in people continuing to leave uh, New York and other high-tax states as a result of their inability to be able to deduct their state and local income taxes, which just keep going up. And by the way, it doesn't mean that Mr. Diamond won't conceivably move jobs to lower-cost places, will it, or lower tax jurisdictions if it means
4: uh, that it'll be better overall for the bank. Look, there's no doubt. At the, be- the first part of the letter, I don't want to mince, is about how great the shareholders do. Uh, how, great the, uh, how, great, how great the people who work there do. So, yes, I mean, I think that, that some people could very easily say this is a man filled with contradictions. He says one thing and then he urges another. Uh, I think he's wrestling, Carl. He's wrestling with the idea. I mean, literally, look, this is an existential letter. And he, I'm not kidding. And he's wrestling with the idea that he wants to do what's best for his shareholders, which is not necessarily what's best for the country. And the last 20 pages are about the country. If you go with that, his company makes less money. He makes less money. Anyone who makes a lot of money makes less money. And the poor are able to pull it by their bootstraps with the help of the government and big business. Carl, it is antithetical. anathetical to it to what a banker sh- uh, typically wants, certainly what a Republican want. And I would even go so far as to say even what the president wants. It's that. I, I don't want to call <laughs> it left wing. I want to just say, if you take him on face value, he is saying this country must change. And we all have to do our part. And doing our part, Carl, makes <clears> for <throat> people like me a lot less money. And look, like I said, it's existential. And I just think that he's made a lot of points that may be uh, soul search. I, I know that sounds weird, Carl. It's a bank letter. But it's the most soul searching no, thing I've seen from a business person. I don't know. It, it, it's it's, 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 it's woo.
1: Yeah, it's definitely layered on multiple fronts, guys. I mean, he talks about the role of the CEO and the corporation that you earn uh, your customers' trust by, in his words, acting morally and ethically, but also on remote, uh, remote work, David. You know, we've been talking about the cost reset that corporates are going to do when it comes to office space, and clearly JPM is going to be one of those. But he also says that remote work virtually eliminates spontaneous learning and creativity because you don't run into people at the coffee machine. A heavy reliance on Zoom actually slows down decision-making, he says, because there's little immediate follow-up.
0: Yeah, it gets back to this continued debate we're going to have as to how many people are going to fully return to the office. I think certainly when you talk to executives like Mr. Diamond, what you will hear is exactly that, that that culture is important, that particularly when it comes to the younger people who are hired, uh, whether they're uh, the new hires or simply early in their career, it's vital that they be in the office uh, because that is where you learn uh, that is where you inculcate some of the culture of the of the company, um, and that is where, to his point, um, you know things that are unexpected can occur. So uh, you're going to continue to hear that, and I think Mr. Diamond, as we know, Mr. Solomon at Goldman Sachs, Gorman, you go on and on through any of the big banks, certainly the ones in New York, whether it's and also the Blackstones of the world, the Black Rocks. They want people back. They want their younger people back, in particular, because they think it's vital to their franchise, Jim. Um, the question continues to be on this larger conversation that we continue to have. What about sort of the middle layer and even upper layers? How many people are not going to feel as though they have to be back all the time? Uh, and I think we can certainly agree that you're not going to have people coming in five days a week who previously did because they feel like, well, I can essentially do the same job from my home at least once or twice a week.
4: Well, let's take their gigantic retail conference they throw over year with, uh, with Matt Boss. All of the major retailers come. I mean, you want to meet them. You want to meet the CEOs. You can't. I mean, there's just Zoom interaction and you don't really know why Gap is up so much. You don't know why. Uh, how come we're starting to see a move in American Eagle? Uh, the healthcare conference, the big healthcare conference in East West where he goes out. I mean, I was in the hall. I met this guy who was saying, "He just grabbed me because, look, you know, I, I got this great technology and you won't believe it. And we're going to be able to do these vaccines. And it's really amazing. And it was this guy, Bancel. It was Moderna. The stock was in 17. How do you do that, David? You can't meet people. You can't, you can't. do deals. You, no, can't you can't learn.
0: Right. You're right. And that's why I think for the most part, many people are going to go back and you're going to have. You're not going to be able to do investment conferences via Zoom forever, as well. Wow. When when there's the ability to to actually be back interacting with people, which should be hopefully soon, uh, even within this calendar year, you could imagine, and certainly that big healthcare conference you're talking about, which typically takes place very early in the year, one would imagine will be fully in person, and even people not wearing masks. We hope, uh, Jim. Um, you know that I think would be an expectation. But again, sort of back to okay. All fair. But will things really return to the levels they were in 2019 in terms of corporate travel, in terms of people going back to the office? It's very much unclear that it will. Uh, You know, there is there has been a significant change that we've all adapted to over this last 12, 13 months.
4: Look, Carl, I am searching for something that shows that I've been vaccinated. New York State sent me something today. It's a piece of paper. Uh, It's Well, I'll take it wherever I go. But then the idea that there's a vaccine passport. I mean, it's become the it has become a a, a total hot button. And yet I want to put up a sign on my restaurant. No shoes, no socks, no vaccine, no service. (laughs) (laughs) I have employees. I have other patrons who want to be sure they're not going to get sick. I have gotten blowback from this sign that I want to put up as if I one person said, Jim, you're a communist. Well, I mean, No, I'm a capitalist. I want to get more people in the in, in the restaurant. I mean, when, when are you opening? When are you opening? I was going to open May fifth. I was going to open May fifth, but it's going to be. Okay. I I think it's going right. to be a private party. I, 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 well, I'm going to be there. Guns. Carl's
0: going to be there. I'm fully vaccinated, or yeah, so I'm right. ready. I'm ready. Then, then you're in. That's a month away.
4: You're in. I'm counting down. I'm, look, I, 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 I'm I just ordered new chairs. I mean, you've got to give me a break. I mean, Carl, this is a country that's so in flux that I think that there are people in this country who say, if you vaccinate me, you are violating my civil liberties. And I, what I want to say, you can't come to Bar San Miguel. And somehow that's an issue on, on uh, Twitter. Well, there you go. You don't have to come to Bar San Miguel. I'm like, hey, Go eat at Taco Bell. Someone recommended Yum yesterday with a 118 price target. Go eat at Taco Bell. See how it is. I prefer Chipotle going to 1500 right now.
1: (laughs) Well, Jim, I did notice that Rutgers, uh, Northeastern, and yesterday Brown University are going to require kids to be vaccinated if you want to go to school there in the fall. I'm not sure how that's much different from uh, getting a margarita at, at your restaurant. Communists.
4: Communists. If I could turn back time by share. Oh, J.D. sure. All right, i got (laughs) to turn back time quickly. Maybe before this (laughs) Medicare sets in. (laughs) Short break.
1: We're back in a minute.
2: Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt. Or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right?
1: Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos voicing support for a hike in the corporate tax rate. He issued this statement on Tuesday saying, quote, we support the Biden administration's focus on making bold investments in American infrastructure. We recognize this investment will require concessions from all sides, both on the specifics of what's included as well as how it gets paid for. We're supportive of a rise in the corporate tax rate. Bezos did stop short of endorsing the president's tax hike plan. Uh, Buttigieg was on uh, MS this morning, Jim, and said even if you get to 28, which no one actually believes they're going to get to, you're still talking about the lowest corporate Corporate tax rate in at least his
4: lifetime, he argued. Look, I, sometimes you see these comments from from corporate executives, and you just say, "Holy cow, are they ever not united?" Uh, this Bezos comment is directly the opposite of the, all the CEOs that have come on air. Uh, and yet, who's the most successful of them? I think it would be Bezos. David, it's it's really dawning on people: yeah. the most successful it's- banker is saying that there's too much greed. That maybe the most successful user of the internet. Is saying, I know. You, I mean, what, I know. we'll pay more. I, I, David, what's going d- on here?
0: Dogs and cats. Dogs and cats living together. I don't know. I mean, so, I know. Diamond's saying don't get rid of the inability to deduct salt. Uh, OK. And uh, this guy now, the company that's criticized for trying to avoid taxes wherever it can is saying, yeah, OK, we're OK with it. I. I, I it's uh, It's news, which is why we're talking yes. about it. And he is... Mr. Bezos is nothing if not perhaps the most important CEO in the country, I I would argue. Uh, Certainly Amazon, as a part of so many people's lives is, and as a focus on both sides, uh, politically at least, under pressure in some way from the Bernie Sanders camp some time ago, but remember has at least a $15 an hour wage. At the same time, there's still the question of unionization in Alabama, for example, where the president has sided with the potential for unionizing there. Um, So it's interesting. to say the least, uh, that that he would come out in that fashion. Of course, still CEO, but will not be for that much longer, Jim, taking on the chairman role. Perhaps we'll start to see Bezos um, participate a little bit more fully in dialogue like this.
4: Well, for instance, we have Darren Woods coming up, the CEO of Exxon. David, if you ask him uh, higher taxes, what do you think he's going to say?
0: Uh, No. (laughs) I would assume he would uh, say no.
4: Right. He'd yeah. say that we need to have yeah. enough money to be able to pay the shareholders a dividend. Carl, I, I think that these executives who are saying things that are contrary to what they'd be expected to be will actually take a lot of heat because there are a lot of people, Carl, yeah. who basically just say, Are you kidding me? I mean, you make so much money and now you sure you're willing to let your company do this. You're so rich and you can say that. But, you know, what do I do? I'm at a company that if they do this, I'm not going to get a raise. So somehow what's viewed as being selfless will come off as selfish if the executives make a lot of money.
1: Yeah, we are expecting to hear the president later today, guys. He's going to talk about. Uh, really what the definition of infrastructure is. They've been trying to broaden that definition uh, versus public uh, per- perhaps perception. Jim, Hill will say, uh, why is it acceptable that 91 of the biggest corporations paid zero in federal taxes in 2019? There's also a, a growing uh, discussion about which sectors are going to get hurt the most. Uh, Fang, for example, uh, has the lowest median effective tax rate. And there's some who argue that's going to feed the rotation we've been talking about for several
4: months. Well, it would be amazing. As long as we get new money into the S&P, which is what I think is happening instead of individual stocks, which has been such a failure in the last three months, that that goes right in favor of the largest companies in the uh, in the S&P, which are the ones that you just mentioned.
0: Yeah so interesting. Amazon, of course, again, has been one of the most aggressive companies, uh, all within, uh, within completely legal but uh, in uh, not paying taxes and, of course, then we come back to the inability to get the headquarters uh, in uh, New York City because of, uh, of the various uh, incentives that were being given that were opposed by uh, the, the far-left politicians. All right, let's, uh, let's move on here, of course. Coming up, lots to talk about with ExxonMobil CEO Darren Woods. That's going to be an exclusive interview. We're Probably not going to ask him about his taxes, but there's a lot of other things to talk to him about. We're right back after this.
5: Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create. Like Olu Shei, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com.
0: Let's get to a mad dash. As we're counting down to the opening bells, you see about seven minutes before we get started with what Jim and I like to call Hump Day. Jim, you've been focused on the shortage of uh, semiconductor chips. It's an important issue. And you've also been focused on one name in particular the uh, semiconductor equipment making right. company, AMAT.
4: Yes. I mean, that is the bellwether. I happen to think it should be land research, but that's okay uh, because supply materials is very, very big. And what is important is that there were many people who were disappointed yesterday that the company didn't raise how much business they'll be able to do, given the chip shortage in the out years. I am telling you, that's a mistake to. You should not take a negative conclusion. Eight firms, eight for eight, David, raised the price target because AMAT has so much business. And AMAT's a very conservative company. There is a chip shortage, and AMAT is one of the biggest beneficiaries. They're giving her all she's got to make more machines, and everyone's being bought. So what a great business. And their gross margins are going up. They've done a remarkable job. I have the CEO on uh, Mad Money tonight. And we will tell the story of a company that is trying to solve the chip shortage without government help. Uh, And all I can say is the fact that this stock went down three dollars yesterday is emblematic that there's still hedge funds around, uh, trigger happy hedge funds blowing out of stocks without understanding what the companies do. Dickerson will explain it.
0: All right. You know, each day that goes by, I know you continue to talk to people about the chip shortage, though, overall. What is your what is your take right now in terms of length here,
4: importance, anything new? I do believe that the auto chip problem will be solved, I think, by year-end. I'm pretty confident about that. Uh, I think more complex uh, chips may be a problem. Uh, but uh, if it's not DRAM, uh, DRAM I think they will meet the need. I-, I do have to tell you, I, I think the idea that, that Advanced Micro is an 81 when they have the chips and are ready is just a sign of how how the bashing by Intel worked. And I think it's time to wake up to the idea. My charitable trust agrees with me, of course. Wake up to the idea that applied materials is a huge beneficiary because they have the chips. But AMAT, Lamb Research, they just are trying so hard, David. There's just way too much demand. High quality problem, yeah. David.
0: All right. We've got to take a quick break. Of course, we'll be back with that opening bell less than five minutes from now. Don't go anywhere. Have you spoken to the Federal Reserve Chairman Jay
2: Powell yet?
3: I have not. Can you say why? Do
0: you guys speak to I, I am not. Uh, look, I think the, uh, the Federal Reserve is an independent operation.
3: And starting off my presidency, I want to be real clear that I'm not going to do the kinds of things that have been done in the last administration, either talking to the attorney general about who he's going to prosecute or not prosecute and under what circumstances or the Fed telling them what they should and shouldn't do.
1: That's the president taking a different approach uh, to Donald Trump about relations to the Fed. Uh, Jim, having not spoken to Powell and clearly not going to harangue him on Twitter either.
4: I think it's great. I mean, the the previous president uh, spent a lot of time talking about how uh, Jay Powell was too tight-fisted that he was going to kill the economy. And then the economy completely breaks down over COVID. And what happens, j Powell just goes out there with a bazooka. Any, any place, anywhere, just says the Fed's not going to run out of money. Uh, what, what's the president doing on Twitter while he's saying that? Well, he's basically calling him a knucklehead. Uh, it was very much of a street brawl by uh, former President Trump with j Powell just not taking the bait. It was on Today Show. He was asked directly about being called. I don't know. What was the president calling him? Uh, I don't know, David. What was the kind of... Uh, well, but I don't know what the president was calling him on Twitter. But boy, did he ever say, "I'm not going to." I'm not going to talk about that. J. Powell's kind no, of distinguished, it was a guy. constant
0: course. It was a one-way conversation. It wasn't a conversation. <laughs> it was just one way, and Powell just kept ignoring him, and then uh, just kept moving on. But uh, of course, as, as Carl points out and you point out, all the rates went to basically nothing, just like Trump wanted. Unfortunately, because of course, a year ago this time, we were in a pretty desperate situation.
1: Yeah. By the way, uh, the actual insults were bonehead uh, and enemy of the people. Uh, No guts, no sense, no vision. But that's that's in the past. There's the opening bell, guys, uh, and the 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 NYSE and the NASDAQ um, and breath this this morning. Jim, after yesterday, one of the narrowest trading ranges of the year so far, is this just spring break at work or is there something else going on? Uh,
4: It could be. I mean, yesterday was the, the stocks. The stock I look at is Roku. Uh, Roku is a great measure of sentiment. Uh, yesterday it was up huge. That meant that we're going back with the stay at homes uh, the day before it was down. I mean, just watch Roku because it really is. It is the market. It, it's, the, it's as much as the market is treasuries. And uh, I just find that there are these tell stocks. Uh, that are just kind of absurd. caterpillars the other way. When Caterpillar goes up, that's that money going into the industrials. I wish I could uh, tell people who have never, tra- never traded or invested before how stupid this market is. I mean, for three days now, the cruise ships have been talking about sailing. Then the CDC puts out some note which says, hey, yeah, they're going to sail someday. And, and it, it doesn't matter, Carl. They go up again. I mean, there are just these themes, and the themes just don't stop. And the best one is the cruise lines. They just don't stop.
1: Yeah, this back and forth with mm-hmm. CDC is, is really getting interesting now. Uh, there are suggestions, obviously, as you know, Jim, that we could see sailing by uh, midsummer. But Carnival, once again, is going to lead uh, the S&P, along with some media names on some upgrades, which we'll get to in a second.
4: It's amazing. Uh, a year ago, uh, Carnival was scrambling. Uh, Carnival, a lot of people say, was saved uh, literally saved by uh, Jay Powell. Well, there was I mean, there was some really good rhetoric uh, for corporate America by saying saying that, look, companies should be able to use the bond market. It'll work. But, uh, David, do you remember those bond offerings from Carnival? Uh, they were. Just, wow. And yes. you know that, that yes. Norwegian is seven and a half billion in debt from this period. And meanwhile, the CDC is just saying eh, maybe you come here's the schedule. I don't know. And it doesn't seem to matter that that uh, Frank Del Rio wants everybody vaccinated. And, of course, there are people who say, well, that's discrimination. He, I, I don't know if I'm going to go for a cruise. I kind of wish everyone were vaccinated. Don't you, David? Oh. Oh, uh, yeah. You, if
0: I was ever going to go for a cruise, How which about like is a music unlikely. cruise,
4: electronic music cruise, you know, where it's no, all it EM. It doesn't really appeal. My daughter yeah, went on not, one of those. Not for me. No. Did yeah. she? Well, all right. Yeah, it was nice. a Norwegian cruise, actually. Like Carl, you know, the younger yeah. people surprisingly like cruises. And I know that there's this notion that they're geriatric. That is about as wrong as it can get, Carl. What people are, are mm-hmm. people are, they're very savvy mm. about if they take the inside line of the cabins, you spend very little money. It's really one of the cheapest vacations in the mm. world.
0: Wow. You are, you are just a uh, walking demoter def- for
4: the cruise industry. I, <laughs> yeah, you really are. I was going to go on a cruise... This time last year, Uh, what's the matter? Uh, I remember. What, do you think it's all the Diamond Princess? It's all about what happened on the HBO special? No,
0: I I don't. I don't. I'm not a, I don't uh, Do you like to be with other people who are not
4: necessarily, you know, a little different from you?
0: No, not really. I do. No, I like to keep it exactly the same. I like to look (laughs) at somebody, everybody to be identical, more or
4: less. Before I go off on this, Carl, if you add them up per day, Okay, they and, and you include the food. Uh, they're pretty amazing in terms of the value, and that's the main reason why younger people are drawn to them. <laughs> I mean, what? You think that my daughter's cruise <laughs> right. was filled with people? All right, can people? we can we move? Can we let's can we
0: not talk about cruises now? It's enough. All right. Oh, I'm mean, well, Okay. He's, you know, he's, he's, I'll, he's I'll a walking spokesman for the migrant association and the Cruise Association of America. I mean, I don't, know, I don't
4: well, take money you know. for, from <laughs> either, Carl. I just happen to be a proponent. <laughs> I'm an anti-migrant. You like cruises? Okay. I, you like cruises like, and not having a I, migraine? I, I don't I, have
0: a problem with that. I can, I know. Yeah. I see. I see him waving now off the off the boat. We'll wave goodbye to him when he goes. did they used to do that? Yeah, yeah. I can't wait. Carlin's we'll voyage. It, it, we'll break the.
4: Why don't we move on to? <laughs> All right. Um, I don't know. How about? How about can we talk? We you move know what? And... Well, how about, how about How about how about I going, Viacom? I was going. Gonna... Yeah, I was going to Viacom. due yeah, yeah. for bounce, I think. Right? Yeah. How much more do you think they have? Yeah, I mean, you know,
0: how much more? Well, I don't think that I think (laughs) that's what I was going to say. I'm looking back. They did that 34 million shares at forty one dollars and twenty five cents, Jim. Well, so forty five, forty three. Here we are. You had an upgrade today. Right, Carl. There was a a couple of positive notes. Right. Discovery also, by the way, moving. So maybe they bottomed. Um, uh, We'll see. But uh, forty one, twenty five, Jim, seems to be where they managed to. They may- maybe managed to bottom ticket at CS. By the way, I've heard, you know, we've gone through, it was Morgan Stanley, it was Goldman Sachs, it was Credit Suisse, it was Nomura. I told you Wells Fargo had some for sale. I've also heard on Sunday night, UBS was a seller of some Viacom uh, and one other, and BSX, uh, another one of those names. So this sort of Kago situation here we are, whatever it is, 10, 12 days later, still going on. Boy, people uh, went into that business. I mean, have begun to understand it.
4: What kind of thing were they paying? I mean, what kind of just huge fees? Yeah. Man, you were, I'm sure they were jammed on a lot of this stuff. They JP were. Morgan didn't they play. They were.
0: And no, they didn't. They didn't. They did not participate in that. So it what was, do you make of that? They were not there. Uh, well, good risk management on their part. That's, I mean, I that is the, a question. You know, it's not as though the guy didn't have something of a checkered past, at least, in terms of uh, some previous violations. And so there were some firms that, that wouldn't do business with him. Yeah, J.P. Morgan um, wasn't thrilled with the I fact
4: think, he was convicted of insider trading, right? I mean, there you go. Exactly. I think that yeah. was a turnoff um, for J.P. Morgan.
0: It, it may have been. And they, were well, they chose well, uh, Carl, there to avoid that relationship. Uh, of course, we've already talked yesterday at length about the $4.7 billion loss that CS suffered, uh, Nomura at $2 billion, and unclear where the other firms are, whether right. they were significant losses or not. Certainly not enough, at least at this point, to, to give us any numbers.
1: Incredible. We are going to get uh, FOMC minutes later today, and I think at least three speakers, uh, Kaplan, Bark, and Daly, uh, will be on the tape. Let's get to Rick Santelli. Hey, Rick.
5: Hi, Carl. Do you think any of those three speakers are going to say that the Fed may have to raise rates at some point if the economy stays hot? I don't think so. But we're all going to listen closely, of course, to see if lower for longer continues to be kind of uh, in permanent ink, so to speak. Let's look at a chart of the. Trade balance. This starts in 1992 because that's when the data started. And what you'll see is this morning we had a minus 71.1 billion for February. That's even in front of the Suez Canal and all those issues. It's the largest, the most negative, the deepest trade deficit ever, ever. And of course, the main reason about that is because imports kept importing, but exports definitely slowed a bit. Now, if you look at an intraday of uh, 10-year note yields, Well, you'll notice is right around 2 in the morning there, uh, we were at our low yields. That's when Europe opens up, but they have come back a bit. But there's no doubt, as the week-to-date chart shows, we've dropped about 10 basis points. And if you look at a month-to-date of the dollar index, well, it's already down about 1% just in three trading days, giving up a lot of ground. And finally, let's look at a two-month chart of the dollar index. Right in the middle is at 92.30 spike close. That is going to be the key support. We're basically coming right down to meet it as we speak. Carl, Jim, David, back to you. When we come back right
0: here, we're going to have an exclusive interview with ExxonMobil CEO Darren Woods. Keep it here. ExxonMobil laid out a sweeping plan to commercialize low emission technologies at its Investor Day last month. That and, of course, a lot of other things. Joining us now in a CNBC exclusive is ExxonMobil's chairman and CEO, Darren Woods. And Darren, it's great to have you. Um, I just want to quickly follow up, if we can, uh, from your last appearance on our air, which was roughly a month or so ago, right after the Investor Day. You you were talking about uh, carbon capture and storage and Uh, specifically you were were discussing at the time uh, the early stages of the technologies in terms of the challenge in deploying it and the costs associated with it because it becomes uneconomic as you get more diluted streams of CO2. Um, I guess I want to just follow up on that. You know, it's only been a month, but what are you seeing in terms of your pilot projects? What are you seeing in terms of that economic feasibility for this technology and your hopes for it?
3: Well, Good morning, David. It's, it's good to be with you uh, this morning. And You're right. Uh, you remember correctly, <clears throat> there is a challenge with uh, carbon capture and storage with dilute streams. Fortunately, there are a lot of sources of concentrated streams today that could uh, support uh, economic and uh, financially viable deployment of carbon capture and storage. In fact, the National Petroleum Council put out a study about a year and a half ago that estimated there was an opportunity for about 500 million tons per annum of capture in the U.S., which is about 10 percent of annual emissions. And in fact, we're working on a project now uh, looking at the Gulf Coast where you have concentrated sources of CO2 emissions. You have uh, very attractive storage options and and, uh, lends itself to deployment. and, And we think there's a big opportunity to be had with the current set of technologies uh, today. If you look at the incentives being uh, put out today by the government to support CO2 reduction, take uh, subsidies to electric vehicles uh, and turn that into a price of carbon, how much are, is the government paying uh, to reduce carbon through electric vehicles? That uh, price on carbon effectively more than supports the, the deployment of CCS.
0: Yeah, well, I guess that, that you know, a number of your shareholders certainly wonder, is this simply an opportunity you see to offset uh, the carbon you're putting into the atmosphere? Or does it really become over time a profit center for this company? You know, not today, but at some point in the future. And is that dependent on there being a true price on carbon, Darren?
3: Well, there certainly has to be a financial incentive to make that Uh, a value proposition for the company and the shareholders but the way we look at it it's very consistent with what i would say is the history of our corporation and the fact that we have evolved uh our production and the products that we offer consistent with the demands and the evolution of demands of society and today as we look at this there's a demand for less carbon intense energy sources, less carbon intense industrial processes. We've been working now for close to two decades on technologies that will help meet that demand. And we look at carbon capture and storage as a, uh, one of the mechanisms to help achieve that demand and help advance the ambitions of the Paris Agreement. And like any other business opportunity or market opportunity, ultimately, There will have to be a market incentive to support the wide scale deployment of these technologies, not only in carbon capture, but I think across the board, all the suites of technologies are going to be required to reduce emissions in the economy.
0: Right. So those who say, Darren, you know, listen, it's great that Exxon is considering doing this, but you're still only spending, what, about three billion dollars over the next number of years till 2025. That represents less than five percent of your capital budget. It's not a real commitment on your part. What do you say to them?
3: Well, I think you have to keep that in perspective. First, I think comparing what we're trying to do in this space with what we do in the oil and gas space, which, you know, all projections, third parties, the UN, the IEA, project that oil and gas are going to be needed cleared out to 2040 and 2050 and beyond even in a two degree world or one and a half degree world. So there's a continuing need for investment in that space. And if you look at the size of the energy system and and the oil and gas uh, uh, sector in in particular, and our investment in that level and that industry is, I think, proportionate. When you look at the low carbon uh, industry, so to speak, uh, it's a much smaller market today. It's evolving and will grow bigger. But if you look at the money that we're spending there, uh, $3 billion is still a fairly substantial investment. That'd be the first point I'd make. The second point I'd make is that $3 billion is based on the plans that we put together in 2020 and does not comprehend uh, significant advancements in our low carbon solutions business. Those opportunities are early enough in the pipeline that we don't have a, a good line of sight to the investments that are gonna be required that business is working on those investments and developing a plan this year. And as those plans mature and those investment opportunities mature, we'll see what the spend required to support that is. The third point I'd make is uh, there is a growing pool of investors out there that are looking for projects and investment opportunities to reduce uh, carbon and carbon emissions. And we're looking to tap into that as well. And so I think what we're going to find going forward is that investment will grow. And part of that will be ExxonMobil investment. I think part of that, I would suspect, will be third-party investments in what what should be some attractive investment opportunities. All right, Darren, let's play some offense here. I
4: read this morning, BP signals strong results. I see the acquisitions being made in the Permian by uh, Scott Sheffield, you know, from Pioneer. And I'm wondering, isn't it time right now to get much more positive on the hydrocarbon business itself?
3: (laughs) Well, I think, you know, again, coming back to the the fundamental needs, if you look at what the role that oil and gas plays today in in the energy systems around the world, how it supports economic growth, how it supports people's standards of living and look at the opportunity space for people's uh, standards of living to rise, particularly in developing countries, there is going to be a continuing demand as society works to transition to a lower carbon uh, society. So I, that's the first point I make. The second point I make, if you look at the pandemic and what happened in 2020 and the amount of investments that were reduced in our industry wasn't enough to offset the depletion curve that we see in both oil and gas. And so you've had two things happening, a uh, continuing rise in demand as the, as the economies around the world recover from the pandemics, and then a, uh, a lack of investment in the industry, which is going to reduce the supply available. So I think as we go forward, you're going to see additional uh, need for investment in the oil and gas industry and a tightening supply and demand balance. I think as you look forward the next several years, particularly when you couple with the economic growth that we'll see around the world, and, and more specifically here in the U.S., we're going to see, uh, uh, I think, a fairly uh, healthy environment for our industry in the short term here, short right. and medium term.
4: All right. So, Darren, I know in your letter you're deeply committed to the dividend, and that has always been a great thing for Exxon. I look at your 13 members, of your board. I have had the privilege to meet most of them. Uh, I would say there is not a climate change denier among them. I would say that the previous president would uh, tell you that this board is way too uh, worried about what will happen with the Paris Accords. You have got a board, Darren, that is not necessarily traditional for
3: gung-ho oil drillers, is it? (laughs) We try to strike a balance. If you think about the business that we're in, we've got a pretty diversified portfolio uh, that spans the globe, spans a number of different sectors. And so The complexity of the business that we run, the breadth of it and the footprint that we have around the world is a pretty challenging uh, mix. And so we look for um, board members that have an experience um, global with running complex businesses at scale, uh, capital intensive businesses. We also look for board members that have experience in technology, because if you go back and look at the developments in our industry and how we've evolved over the centuries, all of it's based on uh, developments in technology. And so having that perspective is critical for our board members. And then finally, as we look at uh, the new investment opportunities are coming down the, uh, the pike and opportunities to, to participate in the transition, bringing on folks that have experience in capital allocation and transitions of industry have been a, a more recent focus. And we feel really good about the, the, the mix of the board members that we have. And I can tell you in the boardroom, lots of debate, uh, lots of discussion, all very constructive, uh, talking about how we strike the balance around meeting today's needs and helping society continue to grow and people's prosperity rise while dealing with the transition.
0: Yeah. No, listen, I I will say it. It's an impressive group you've got there. It doesn't mean, though, that you still aren't facing a challenge from Engine One, Darren. I think uh, they're still out there. Do you consider that proxy fight, though, effectively over?
3: Well, what we've been very focused on is making sure investors understand the plans that we have in place. Uh, You know, we go back to 2018. uh, We were very put a lot of focus on how are we going to make sure that we have an asset base that supports earnings growth and cash flow Growth and in is uh, industry leading. And so that led to, I think, a very attractive set of investment opportunities across all three of our sectors the upstream, the downstream, and the chemical business. We were prosecuting those investments, very high re- return investments and industry advantage. Obviously, yeah. the pandemic made a big change. It reduced the, the revenues that we had to support that. So we had to pull those projects back and pause them. But I'm very pleased to say, if you right. look at that investment portfolio, higher returns. We've paced those. We managed to pay the dividend uh, and we've got a plan going forward. that's going to pay down debt, continue to pay the dividend and advance those projects. So we feel pretty good about the, Darren, the growth potential and our ability yeah, to support the dividend.
0: I just real quick want to get a couple in here before we wrap up, given the time. But to that sure. answer that you just gave, I mean, uh, oil prices obviously have come back strongly, but that doesn't mean that you're going to change at this point your business strategy specific to that capital budget That you recently laid out?
3: You know, one of the pillars of uh, our strategy is to make sure we have a strong balance sheet that allows us to manage through the cycles that we know exist in this capital intensive industry. We leaned very hard on that in the pandemic. It was a very unusual year, a very deep down cycle. Uh, We've got to build that capacity back up again. So that is the priority. If prices rise or are higher than we anticipated in the plan, which today they are, we'll use that additional a revenue to pay down debt and, and strengthen the balance sheet. And that is the strategy and the focus of this year.
0: Finally, Darren, uh, you're perhaps the company most closely associated with the state of Texas, uh, which is introducing some uh, potential changes in terms of voting that at least some of your compatriots there, Dell Technologies, American Airlines, their CEOs have chosen to speak out potentially against. You have stayed quiet on this. Why?
3: Well, we look at this, I think, in the context of this bill and the Georgia bill as what has been, I think, a growing divide in the nation. And frankly, I think it's incumbent upon our elected officials to uh, spend the time to understand the issues and make sure that they're coming up with solutions that address all sides of the issue. It's, it's really, I think, an opportunity to show some leadership and rise above uh, uh, policy, uh, partisan politics. And, solve complex issues that impact us all. Obviously, as a company, uh, we're very supportive of making sure that there is broad and equitable access for voters, and at the same time that our election processes are secure and the integrity of the results are, are there and are trusted by investors. So this is not a win-lose proposition. I think you know, these two objectives, secure elections, um, broad access to voting, are not mutually exclusive, and we're encouraging our elected officials to work together to find a solution that addresses both of those. Right.
0: Darren, really appreciate your taking time and certainly hope this is the first of what will be many conversations as we continue to watch closely the transformation of ExxonMobil. Thank you.
3: Look forward to it, David. Thank you. Thanks, Jim.
0: We'll take a quick break. Back after this.
4: Okay, this is a hot one. I've got applied materials, which I said is going to go up. Gary Dickerson, Todd McKinnon going to be introducing some big news on Okta Then Marty Musi. A lot of people didn't like the quarter. And what are they out of their minds? It was better than expected. Let's check in with him. I cannot wait for tonight's show. Uh, David, thank you for letting me be involved uh, with the Exxon uh, CEO, Darren Woods. And Carl, take it away. (laughs) Okay, guys.
1: You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street.